What a beautiful time of worship uh, to be in the presence of the Lord together and to be gathered with you. Uh, the brave who made it out of your house when it was single digits this morning. My goodness, what's wrong with all of you? Uh, my car said it was four degrees when I was driving in. I thought, that's pretty cold. You know, that's not, that's not very warm. Uh, this coming off of last week when we were under uh, a bunch of ice, and thank you for your patience with us as we had to change our plans around uh, last week, and we look forward again to being with you here uh, today. Let me just give you a quick update on something before we uh, jump into the message time. Uh, we have just come through a two-year cycle in our church family uh, of uh, ministry through our giving toward what we've called our Faith Forward campaign, which is a way that we're elim eliminating any debt from uh, the building construction project, which was a significant project that we took on several years ago. And I am really encouraged to tell you, next week we're actually gonna be launching the next two-year cycle. So we're gonna continue to press into this, but we are actually now well into the final third of this project. We've only been in the new building for a few years now. Uh, but really, really great, grateful for what God has done. And so uh, we're going to bring that to you next week. But you can begin praying now, you know, to be thinking about, okay, what would God have me do? If you have been giving to that, thank you, uh, because we, you've, we've really made some great progress as a church family. We're really, really encouraged by the progress that we're making. If it's totally news to you or you're saying, I don't even know what that is, you're going to hear about it next week. But you can start to be praying about it now. This is the time of year that, you know, in our family, we're starting to think a little bit about what are the things God would call us to support this year? What are we going to do for missions? What are we going to do for the church? Different stuff like that. We want to encourage you to also be mindful in those ways. We are convinced that a church that is known for generosity is going to thrive. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. I've seen that in all kinds of corners. Churches that are known for generosity tend to thrive. You think, well, you're giving things away, and but the Lord has an amazing way of commanding his blessing and sending his blessing when people are living with open hands and living generous lives. So we want to strive to do that. The other thing I'm convinced of is that a church that is hungry and feeling even some desperation in the spirit of prayer uh, is going to thrive because that's where we find ourselves on our knees before the Lord asking him to do the work that only he can do and that's the spirit in which we are coming into this 40 days of prayer in which we are now a few weeks in we've been talking about this theme of reawakening to Christ and that's our prayer during this time is that you would be reawakened to the presence of Christ in a variety of different ways first week Pastor Seth was talking about reawakening to the glory of Christ uh, last week, we didn't have our message here. I did a little video message for you online, but reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And this week, I'm excited to bring you a message entitled, Reawakening to the Spirit of Christ. And uh, our hope in all of this in the series is that, one, you'll be praying. You know, be praying more. Pray through the week. Pray with your family. Pray with your roommates. Pray with your circles. Pray in your own prayer closet. But let's flex and exercise those muscles of prayer because it's vitally important that we're able to do that but that as we pray we are reawakened to the presence of christ ephesians 5 14 wake up sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you so i hope you hear the voice of the spirit in these weeks and in these days saying wake up wake up wake up wake up wake up all kind of good things for us to be awake awakened to if you have your bibles i want you to turn to ephesians chapter 1 we're going to look at ephesians chapter 1 uh, verses 13 to 17 today those are going to be the primary verses that we're going to start 
on. And so read with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and following. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want to just pause for a moment with you again. Let's just, let's just ask the spirit of God to help us. Jesus, we are coming in your presence today and asking Holy Spirit, that you would quicken us and cause us to be responsive so that in these days we're not simply learning things about you, but that we would be able to put into practice that which we are learning. Help us today to do that. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I have often spoken to you about a time in my life that I've called my spiritual renaissance when I was about 19 years old. I had just finished my first year at uh, Penn State University, just down the road here, um, and I was, I was feeling a growing sense of urgency at this time in my life that my life was not trending in a good direction. And specifically, I would just say I, I was not proud of the person that I was becoming. In fact, in many ways, I was a little embarrassed of the person that I was becoming. And so in, in my high school years prior to this, I had begun to feel an absence of authenticity in the church. And that frustration led me to a very sort of cold-hearted approach to God in general. And I think if I were to describe sort of how I went into that first year of college, I would say that I had embraced sort of a behavior management, semi-agnostic, doubt-ridden spirituality. And the reality was, I was pretty miserable. I was pretty miserable. I was a, that was a rough year for me spiritually. But how many of you know that sometimes God uses those shake-up seasons to really get our attention, right? I mean, I was the guy that I remember being in the freshman situation, you know, freshman up in East Halls and stuff, and everybody said, you know, what are we going to do on the weekend? Because, oh, we got to do the party scene. The party scene's going to be great. And so I'd go down to the party scene, and I'd be like, I don't know, guys. Like, I don't, I mean, do you think this is really the best meaning in life? And they're like, dude, what are you talking about? You know, uh, I, I just was unhappy. You know, it seemed like the things where I was looking to find joy, the places that had promised to be the next good thing, always sort of just felt like these empty pursuits. And I was, I was sort of tormented with this. And of course, growing up in a Christian home, you know, I knew, I believed there was something to a walk with God. I believed there was something to a relationship with Jesus, but I had become so disappointed and so disillusioned with myself and most of the people that I looked up to that I thought, is there really any life there? Is there really anything worth pursuing there? So it's pretty miserable, kind of wrestling 
until God sort of showed up. And when I say until God showed up, what I mean is that I actually started to see in the life of some people that I knew sort of evidences of life. There, there was something in the life. These are people my age. They were going through all the same things I was going. They were wrestling with the same questions I was wrestling with, and yet they seemed to be experiencing God in a different kind of way. There was an authenticity there that I had hungered for for a long time. So I, I, gotta, I wanna be with these people. I wanna hang out with them. I wanna know what they know if indeed there's something to learn here. First Bible study that I went to with some of these crazy Jesus-loving folks um, was, a, was a Charles Stanley Bible study entitled The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. Has anybody ever read that book by Charles Stanley? Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. It's a, it's a wonderful old series. And the perfect place for me to step in when I was coming through all this season of, of frustration and, and questioning and all of that kind of stuff, the wonderful spirit-filled life, where I learned on week one, you were never intended to live the Christian life on your own. Here I am, 19 years old, and I, I'm sure I probably had heard that somewhere along the line, but it, I never sunk in, never got past my head knowledge or whatever, but it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a minute, I'm not intended to live to a Christian Jesus standard. I mean, how crushing is that, right? If we tell our people, all you gotta do is go, go be like Jesus. You know, come on. You're not gonna make it a day. Just go be like Jesus. Put a wristband on that says WWJD, and then every time you need to make a decision, just do what he would have done. Piece of cake. But instead of that message, what I was hearing is actually, you are not equipped nor expected to live the Christian life on your own strength. There is an advocate there is a helper, and when you learn what it is to tap into the strength that is actually divinely offered to you, you learn what it is to live the wonderfully spirit-filled life. So I was sort of shocked as I go through this study to find out how much my very own Bible talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. And I found myself saying again and again, how did I not know this? The Holy Spirit has the mind of God that actually helps connect the mind of the divine to the mortal? Like, is that, is that really what it says? That's really what it says? The Holy Spirit actually intercedes for me when I'm at my wit's end, and I, and I spend a lot of time at my wit's end, especially in those days, uh, still now today sometimes. But when I'm, when I'm at my wit's end, and I don't even know how to pray, Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me with groans that words cannot express. How many of you know that promise? How many of you have thought about that promise recently? How many of you have thought about that promise in your most recent, you know, crisis? So I'm learning all of these things, 19 years old, spiritual renaissance, and realizing that my Bible has a ton to say about the role of the Holy Spirit. And somehow or other, I had managed to live a lot of my life up to that point without really being aware. I began rethinking everything at that point. Everything that I thought I knew about a relationship with Jesus, the church, living on mission. And to this day, I believe that the role of the Holy Spirit makes the difference between a living faith and a dead religion. Reawaken to the Spirit of Christ. 
And that's our message for today. Now I want to give you a, a little bit of big picture uh, sort of thought. These messages that we are doing on the reawakening, this, this 40 days of prayer, this is actually a, a program or a, a package that our national office put together to sort of call all of our churches to this season of prayer together. And so we're participating with this. And, and one of the people who helped put this together was Rosilio Roman, uh, who I don't know personally, but I want to read a quote to you from, uh, from him. He says this, In this new year of 2022, almost two years after the start of the pandemic, we in the Alliance family are praying for a fresh new awakening, much like the previous great awakenings in this country. It will be preceded by a profound and life-transforming season of prayer. That's, what, that's why we're doing what we're doing right now. We're asking God. We're trying to make space for God. We are, we are engaging in prayer with the hope that God will stir and change the atmosphere. So let us join with all the Alliance churches around the country in praying for this great awakening in the land. This reawakening will be the outcome of a fresh and mighty wave of spiritual renewal brought on by the Spirit of Christ, God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, moving mightily in our midst. Our country surely needs this, and our Alliance family can be used by God in leading it. So I was thinking about this. And, and I know in many circles, I, I've heard people talking about praying for revival. And I'm praying for revival in our country, praying for revival, praying for revival. I, I pray with other pastors. We're praying for revival. Uh, I hear many of our people, our elder boards, say, I'm praying for revival, praying for revival. That is a good prayer to be praying. And so in these 40 days, be praying for revival. I, I always say, Lord, start with me. Revive my heart first. But Lord, we're interceding now for our country, we're interceding for our world, and we're praying for, our, for revival. And so this, this person was writing, you know, as the Spirit of God is moving, this is going to ignite this revival. So here's my caveat. My caveat as you pray for revival, and I hope that you do. Be careful what you pray for, first of all, and, and pray with a loose grip on your plans for God's revival, okay? I'll say it again. Pray with a loose grip on your plans for God's revival because the, the fact of the matter is that though there is a stirring and growing passion for revival, the question in some ways still remains, what are we actually talking about? What does it mean when we say, sometimes sort of glibly, we just, we're praying for revival, and for some folks, when I talk to them, well-meaning, Jesus-loving, God-honoring people, when I talk to them, what I start to hear is like revival to them means a certain legal outcome, uh, changes in the, in the law, a certain cultural outcome, changes in the culture. And while those things may very well be the center of the heart of God, it strikes me that when Jesus first came to the earth, when he first came to our world, there were many people praying fervently for the salvation of God's people. But for many of them, including Christ's own disciples, the answer to that prayer, they would say, was obviously going to be represented by a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman occupation. 
It was military. You know, this is, we're going we're gonna to declare a certain level of, of freedom. There's going to be a revolution, and Jesus is the guy that's going to lead it. And so the, they, they were confused because they had a preordained notion of what this revival, what this revolution was going to look like. And I suppose that Jesus probably had to say to them, no, there's going to be a revolution. No, there's a, there's a revolution, but it's actually, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. And, again, I just, I'm just putting this out there because we want to pray for revival. We want to pray with, with open hands. There were significant things in the culture, significant things in the legal system, significant things in the political world that Jesus had nothing to do with. He didn't reform them. He didn't take them over. He said, I'm coming to bring in and preach a kingdom that you haven't yet fully understood. So I just want to encourage you as the Holy Spirit just sort of prompted me this week when I was thinking about what does that mean when we're calling people to pray for revival? To pray for revival but with a loose grip on your plans. Because I suspect that there, there will be repentance. I suspect there will be renewal, spiritual hunger, missional fervor. All of these things come to mind when I think about revival. But Jesus may have plans that I don't yet understand. Jesus is probably thinking about things that I have not even ever conceived of. So we pray with some humility as we pray with fervor and pray with open hands. That was just a little extra message to the message. No charge for that. (laughs) The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus presents the Holy Spirit as a prominent theme all throughout the epistle. So in Ephesians 1 Uh, 13 to 17, which we've just read, the apostle states three roles of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. So I'm just going to kind of unpack these uh, with you a little bit today with the hope that you would not just simply amass a little bit more knowledge. In fact, I suspect that I'm not going to share much, if anything, that the majority of you have not already heard. But what I have found in my own life to be true, and I suspect is true in yours, maybe some today right now would say this is true, is that the truth of what I know about the Holy Spirit is not being demonstrated in the day-to-day experience of my life. Does that make sense? Anybody raise a hand and say, ooh, I think I've been there, right? I, I know certain things that I've not yet put into practice or I've, I've known things that I have put into practice but I haven't been living them out well. The series is reawakening. Right? It's, it's reawakening. So if you reawaken today to something, that's good. It's not a rebuke. It's actually a wonderful invitation. Okay, so number one, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, the Holy Spirit identifies or is the identifying mark of the Christian. We read this in, in verse 13. Uh, Christ's followers bear the mark of the Holy Spirit. He put his special mark on you. When you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what some of your translations say. The Holy Spirit is given to everyone who believes in Christ. So if you are in Christ today, and by that we simply mean you bow your knee in submission to the Lordship of Christ, you realize I can't do this on my own, I have to have a right standing with God that I can't earn but has actually been imputed to me from Christ. And so when I come into that place, I recognize his finished work on the cross, his death and resurrection, all of the things that he has done, and then now he gives to me, I receive that. That's what we're talking about, falling on the finished work of Jesus. When you have made that commitment, you are marked, according to Ephesians uh, 13, you are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. 
Imagine again, I'm 19 years old and I'm trying to get this stuff figured out, trying to get my head around what does it really mean to, to follow Jesus. And I, I, I kind of knew this. I just didn't know it. You know what I mean? Wait a minute. I have the Holy Spirit in me. The, the Holy Spirit of God has been marked in me as a seal, a guarantee of my salvation. So the, the Holy Spirit identifies the believer. The Holy Spirit was given to fulfill a promise, and Jesus is always true to his word. This is what he said in the Gospel of John, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verses 15 and following. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So like, like that little tension, that, like that's the piece that I was missing. I got the idea of like keeping Jesus' commandments. I understood that. Most of you understand that. You gotta, you gotta behave, essentially. You gotta be good. You gotta kind of pull your weight and do these things. And Jesus is clear in saying, do that as a sign of love for me. Like, let your life actually be molded in such a way and acted out in such a way that like people can see your love for me. That's actually a good motivation for why you want to make the right choice and do the right thing. But then here's what he says. You're going to need help to do this. And that's the piece that I was missing for all these years. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Look what it says here. This is uh, verse 17 of John 14. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then if you fast forward to verse 26 of John 14, Jesus says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And that's a really important piece too because what we actually come to find is in, the, in this beautiful, what Jonathan Edwards called dance of God, we see Jesus saying, I don't do what I wanna do, I do what the heavenly Father is doing. You know what I mean? And then the Holy Spirit of God is given and he's not just speaking what he thinks is best, he's reminding of the things of Jesus Christ. So every time in your life that Christ is elevated, the presence of Christ is experienced. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to be able to help us do that. And it's a beautiful interplay that we see. So Jesus has given us this promise, and now Paul is picking up on this saying, right, when you believed Christ, you were marked. The Holy Spirit identifies the believer. Now, I think we need to be able to read his promises with understanding. Again, you're going to hear a half a dozen things today that you will probably say, I knew that. I knew that to be true. But am I understanding what does that actually mean? That the Holy Spirit marks me as a believer. We've got to learn to read his promises with understanding. I'll give you a funny little story example. A uh, little boy's walking through the cemetery with his dad. And the little boy doesn't read very well yet. And uh, why the little boy and the dad are walking to the cemetery, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Backstory. But they're in the cemetery and they pass this big mausoleum and on, uh, engraved across the top of the mausoleum is the family name, E-A-T-O-N. And the little boy is trying to like, make that out. It's not a word he's really familiar with. So he says, Dad, what, what does that word say? And he says, it, it says, eaten. And the kid's eyes get really big. He's like, by what? <laughs> Fascinating. You laughed harder at that than the first service did, incidentally. <laughs> for whatever it's worth. 
for whatever it's worth. Um, you, you read the thing, but do you know what it says? You, you hear the thing, but do you, do you understand what it means? Like when we say the Holy Spirit identifies the believer, like that's, Paul is literally drawing a line in the sand. And this is important for us, especially if, like I thought for a long time that the Holy Spirit was kind of like next level something or other. That was graduate level, and I was in high school. I love Jesus, and, and that's fine or whatever. I'll figure out the Holy Spirit someday. Part of the disservice that we oftentimes do is I grew up hearing references to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? If you have a, a deep love and connection with the Holy Spirit that you understand as the Holy Ghost, it's fine. I mean, you, you can keep your terminology. But what a weird thing to tell kids you know, in church, it's like conjuring these images of like Halloween costumes and bed sheets and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I just was, wasn't sure what to do with it. I mean, it was just, a, I'll figure that out later on. But the Holy Spirit is not for the advanced Christian, okay? There's a line in the sand. The Holy Spirit marks the Christian, period. In fact, that is the mark of the Christian. So there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that have the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of Jesus and they have received that and they believed and have been marked by God and the people that don't. So you can't say, and this will be helpful to you because some of you be in a place, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I mean, I show up and I do the church thing and I even give a little bit or whatever. Uh, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. I don't, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian, right? You're not destined for heaven. You're not destined for the presence of God if you don't have the Holy Spirit. This is the mark guaranteeing our salvation. So it's an important line that Paul is drawing in the sand. And he's saying there's two kinds of people. You have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The beauty is you can have the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is not a nice addition for those who want to get a little bit more serious. The Holy Spirit is the identifying mark of the Christian. Okay, you knew that. We want to live it. The second thing we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. So he literally is a down payment paid by God himself. When you come into faith in Christ and God marks you with that Holy Spirit, is a down payment guaranteeing our salvation. And then listen to this. And all access to God's richest blessings. You see, it's, this is the, this is the, the pin code. In other words, right, to, to access the account. God says, I'm going to give you that access by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. This very much fits into the message we preach all the time about the finished work of Jesus. We talk about this all the time. Finished work of Jesus. You can't rely on yourself your track record, good for you. You're doing some good things, but your track record, Paul said, my righteousness is like dirty rags before the Heavenly Father. I got nothing except for falling on the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was dead, who was, who was, who was uh, killed for me. He paid the price for my sin, who overcame uh, sin and, and death in the, in the resurrection. So the finished work of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, and I would say today, and the impartation of the Spirit this was the promise of Christ. We can either choose to rely on him, which is an act of faith and trust. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, incidentally. Or we can make our best efforts 
to save ourselves. In many ways, it comes down to this. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance and our salvation. Why? Because we fall on the finished work of Jesus. I think when I, when I think this through and allow the Spirit of God to kind of work this into my own heart, here's what I come away realizing. The Holy Spirit is the evidence that God desires for us to walk in relational freedom with Him as opposed to indentured servitude. If you are in the process of earning your salvation, you got a lot of work to do. I mean, you literally have an infinite amount of work to do to achieve the holiness and the, the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit actually allows us to walk in relational freedom with him as opposed to indentured servitude. And yet, here's the crazy thing. When people of God have done this historically, they find themselves in a place of saying, I'll be a bondservant for Christ. It's my joy. It's, it's actually my joy to lay myself down, my right to myself, because of the finished work of Christ given for me. But I'm never going to earn it. I'm never going to earn it. Holy Spirit freedom. Um, religion exchanges one form of bondage for another, and it doesn't change your heart. It's bad news for all my religious friends out there, right? If, if you're banking on kind of your best efforts, it's, it's not going to change your heart, and it kind of keeps you in bondage. And yet, so, so here's, the, here's the beautiful picture of this. If it is true that the Holy Spirit is a, is a deposit in your life and in my life, guarantee you are marked that way. Literally, this is what that means. God is saying, I know this guy. I know her. I know him. I know him. I know her. Why? I put my spirit in them. I literally, God can literally, it's like you got a, you got a spiritual tattoo. You know what I mean? Some of you, oh, I would never get a tattoo. You got a, a spiritual tattoo. The deposit of the Holy Spirit that marks you as his. So that God is actually identifying with you by putting his spirit inside of you. So that's, that's powerful. Guarantee of our inheritance. The third thing is this. This is awesome. Third point is this. The Holy Spirit is available to you today. The Holy Spirit is available to you today. So John 14, we read this before. Jesus talks about this helper. The helper's gonna teach you. The helper is the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name. That Jesus was referring to this in this promise that he's gonna help you, he's gonna be with you, he's going to be available to you today. Now this is, this is really substantial because, let's, let's unpack a couple truths with this. Not all of us are living as if the Holy Spirit is available to us today, right? It's really easy, really easy to coast. It's really easy to, to just kind of go, I'm just kind of responding in the flesh. In fact, I suspect that if you were to go back over this last week and prove to you, you're not always walking in the Spirit. If, I were to, if you were to go back and just say, we're gonna record every thought, every word, every decision, every attitude, put it up on the screen and just sort of evaluate Huh, how did we do this week? Oh, man. Some of that was in just nothing but flesh. Some of that nothing but old nature. Uh, 
I'm wrestling with my old nature, right? In fact, I'm pretty convinced. I think I learned this from Charles Stanley 100 years ago. He said, you know, my old nature's not getting any better. <laughs> Man, uh-oh. And yours isn't either. The good in you, the good in me, is essentially the, the image of Christ being formed in me. And that's, the, again, that's the finished hope, uh, finished work of him. You know, not, not my efforts. But my old nature's not getting any better. So I need to start thinking about, okay, here's the key question. Where do I need the Holy Spirit right now? We're in the middle of this 40 days of prayer. It's a good question to ask this week. Where do I need the Holy Spirit right now? My job stinks. My marriage stinks. My family's a mess. My prayer life's in the toilet. I can't study. My studies stink. Ministry's hard. You think I'm just using hypotheticals. I'll let you wonder if they are. Every one of us has some area, right, that we're saying, like, this is just a wreck right now. This is a mess right now. The promise that we don't want you to leave here without is to say the Holy Spirit is available to you today. So literally, I woke up with that thought on my mind this morning, feeling levels of frustration and things are hard and this is not good and this isn't working well. Da, 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 da. Wait a minute, Aaron. The Holy Spirit's available to you today. You're going to preach it in an hour. You might as well think about it. <laughs> right? So the Holy Spirit's available to you. My relationship with my kids is a mess. I'm fighting with my wife. I don't like my job. You know what? All those things. Think, you think about those things. You think about where you land on some of those things and ask yourself the question, where do you need the help of the Holy Spirit today? Now, two, two things. Um, I, I want to just kind of wrap up with this notion of, you know, what a great opportunity for us in the middle of this prayer time to ask for the work and fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, that's... That is the message today, right? I mean, that's it. You know, what a great opportunity for us to ask for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives this week. Um, now, some of you say, well, that, that creates a theological issue because now we got to answer the question, like, do we have all of the Holy Spirit? Do we get more of the Holy Spirit? And early on in this journey, when I was realizing the Holy Spirit was real, I immediately had people tell me, well, no, 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 you can't pray for more of the Holy Spirit because that's a problem because theologically it means this, da, 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 da. And other people said, no, 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 you already have all the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? All of these are good questions. The main issue is this, you need the Holy Spirit. You do. So if you want to get stuck in the weeds of trying to figure out, is it this a percentage in five-ninths of what I convert to Celsius? <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And then, and, then, and then I hear Jesus saying explicitly, not implied, not like you have to Oh, if you, if you interpret it this way and then think through these language studies and da-da, then you might, like, implicitly, this is what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 11. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Well, that's pretty general. 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Well, that's getting a little more specific, but that's interesting metaphor or whatever. Um, verse 13 of Luke 11 says this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask him? And he actually doesn't just say give. Jesus says explicitly, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a great question. I'm not the world's best dad, but I love to give good gifts to my kids. You're not the best parent in the world if you're a parent, but you love to give good gifts to your kids. And Jesus is saying, little dose of humility, if you can get that, being evil, <laughs> you're a mess, but you understand what it means to give something good to somebody else, how much more does the Heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask? Wow. God, increase our hunger. He is offering so much more, so much more, and I'm content with so much less. May it not be so. So that's the message, and if you need a little encouragement in receiving that, uh, I'm going to give you a quote from A.W. Tozer. I think this might be my favorite quote of all time by any author. I've shared it before. I actually heard the quote here uh, in this church. Someone else was speaking, and I was like, that's just the best quote ever. So I'm thinking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, thinking about asking, okay? I want to ask. I want to encourage you to be asking that God would meet you and fill you and everything else that he wants to do. I don't need to micromanage that. He has a good plan for your life. And so if you're wrestling with that, and, and maybe wrestling a little bit with the fear that comes, what if I ask and I don't receive? What if my plan for what the revival is supposed to look like is different than what God actually, you know, there's, there's some stuff we got to wrestle with in terms of trusting him, but here's the hopeful quote from A.W. Tozer, of all people. He says this, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. And anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. Hmm. So how much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a great question for us to find the answer to. Be awakened to the Spirit of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today. We're grateful for your finished work, and we're grateful for your Holy Spirit. But I wish I could say that I've kind of got this figured out. And yet, uh, the mirror still doesn't really lie. I know I fall really short 
of the wonderful spirit-filled life. My old nature is still there. I just pray that you would help us because we have tasted, many of us have tasted and we have seen that the spirit of the Lord is good. And so we pray that in this season, as we pray and as we pray for revival and we want to see our world shaken and we want to see people one for the, the kingdom of Jesus and, and all of those kind of lofty prayers, I, I just ask that you would cause us today to, to start with us, start with our hearts. And the, the song that we're going to sing, I think, is a great declaration because it's not soft and sappy and quiet. It's actually a little loud and saying, I am running out of that grave and running into the life of Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us in the life of Christ as you reawaken us to your role and your work. And Jesus, in our marriages and in our jobs and in our relationships and in our work and in our church, we ask that your Holy Spirit would manifest his presence and plan. Otherwise, we are left with our best efforts. And that will never be enough. So in humility, we invite you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, let's stand up. We're gonna close up in a powerful song. Let's sing it out.